And this morning, I want to speak to us a message from the book of Luke. For those of you who have been around the last few weeks, we've entered into, we're seven days in, to our 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to feel a little bit hungry. We as a family of doing this practice of we're not eating in daylight hours. That's how Sydney and I have chosen to participate, feeling like that is a faithful response to what God is calling us to. Um, and I have been talking to a lot of people around this place, and it's been really encouraging, this sense of ownership engaging, this wanting to seek after God in this place, that we are a people who won't want to be hungry for what God is doing in our lives, in our community, and in the world that there is the sense of we want more of God working. And so, this morning I want to bring this message from the book of Luke, this message, a message around actually where is our hunger placed, that we would direct our hunger towards God, that we would be a people who are not just hungry physically in this season, but we would be a people who are continually growing a hunger for God and His kingdom, His kingdom coming. And the message that I want to bring is set in the story of a people who are ex experiencing their own sense of hunger, that there are people who for generations had this hunger, this, we need to see God move and speak again. We're looking at the start of Luke. So it's been 400 years, if you, between the old, end of the Old Testament, start of the New Testament, there's been 400 years of essentially silence of little pockets of God working, but the sense of, man, God has not spoken in a profound way and he has made these promises and we need him to be faithful to them. There's people who are hungry for God to move and speak in their world. That it hasn't, these 400 years haven't just been a sense of waiting, but there's been this, empires have come and gone, oppression for the people of God has been a reality that there has been this struggle, this physical hunger, this spiritual hunger, just we need God to move. Not just these empires globally, but particularly where we find Jesus. There's this leader, Herod, who is this particularly oppressive leader. And there have been these movements of like, is this the Messiah? Is this the one who's going to save us? That have failed. So there's this anticipation, there's this waiting, when is God going to move? And we get this story leading into our passage this morning, where we get this glimpse of maybe this is God moving. And it starts with not just the national struggle, this we need God to move and free us, but also this family struggle that God comes and moves. This couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, this couple who we're told are righteous, are faithful, have served God faithfully for their lives, yet in the midst of this have not been able to bear a child. This has been what they've grappled with, and in the midst of this we see God move, and miraculously Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And very quickly after, Elizabeth's much younger cousin, essentially a teenager, a child, Mary, becomes pregnant as well. And we get this encounter with this old woman Elizabeth, pregnant, and her young teenage child cousin, meet. And the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. 
the Holy Spirit comes upon Elizabeth and she prophesies, she speaks life and truth over Mary. And then we get to our passage this morning, Mary's response out of this. So if you've got a Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to open up to Luke chapter 1. We're going to read from verses 46 to 56. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So my first noticing that I want to kind of draw out this morning is we get this encounter with Mary and Elizabeth, this prayer that just burst forth from Mary's mouth. And interestingly, reading this, Mary's prayer, Mary's worship of God doesn't come when she meets the angel. This moment when she's told she's going to give birth to the Savior. Instead, like you can imagine, it, that probably was quite an overwhelming experience. Instead, her prayer comes when her cousin spoke these words of life, of prophecy over her. And you can imagine for Elizabeth, this woman who has waited decades, unsure if she will ever bear a child, unable to conceive. Mary, her teenage cousin, shows up who is pregnant, wasn't really intending to be pregnant, just as pregnant. Like, what your instinctual response would be, yet for Elizabeth, we don't notice any sense of resentment. Instead, she celebrates and speaks life over Mary. She notices that the Messiah is present, and she celebrates that. She doesn't miss it. I think there's something beautiful in Luke's gospel that the first time that we see Jesus noticed for who he is is two pregnant women in a home just celebrating. How awesome is that? This is the first moment where he is recognized. And this is particularly important if you know how families work in Scripture. Kind of similar to sometimes how our families work. There's always a little bit of dysfunction. Often when there's multiple pregnancies in a family, it's often a cause of conflict and competition rather than a sense of mutual celebration. And also with bo- when there's multiple boys born in a family, again, it's like, who's going to be the best one? There's not this sense of like, yay, they're going to grow up together, this is going to be awesome. There's, it's more a sense of competition. Yet we know that it's going to be different this time for these two boys, that they're going to grow up, they're going to know each other, and one of the amazing things about John is he's going to know what his place is, what his place is in the picture, and be able to point to Jesus, his cousin. 
in this story, we get this beautiful song that I want to explore that bursts forth out of the scenario, out of the situation. There's three questions I want to ask of us this morning. Firstly, do you know our story? Secondly, can you see the kingdom? And lastly, what do we do as a response? As we read through these words spoken by Mary, as people have read through these words spoken by Mary over centuries, there's been this grappling with it of like, these are some profound words that she says. And actually, scholars have often debated, did Mary actually say these words? Because she's this young girl from quite a poor background, yet she's speaking these profound truths that tap into the story and the history of the people of God. The normal is, I think, maybe Luke just planted it there. Or maybe this was actually Elizabeth's prayer, because she's the old, she's the mature one. She probably knows this stuff, and Luke's just put it in Mary's mouth. But as people grapple with they come to the point, there's not really an actual better answer than these other words of a young girl as she realizes what God has done for her and what God is going to do through her. That she knows the story that she is a part of. She knows what God has done through history, through the people of God, and she knows that she has now found her place in that story. And the story starts, her prayer starts with these words that are deeply personal praise of and adoration of God, this depth of joy and celebration that comes out of her. It starts with these words, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has great, done great things for me. Holy is his name. Here she's speaking these deeply personal words. But she's also actually, if you know there's been similar situations of these in Scripture, she's also calling back, echoing prayers of a woman who came long before the Hannah in the Old Testament. This woman who struggled to conceive goes to a prophet and promises that when she has a child, this child will be dedicated to God. And when she finally gives birth to Samuel, he is one of the great Old Testament prophets and leaders who would oversee Saul and David. And Mary prays this deeply personal prayer, calling back to these words of Hannah, knowing that within her she is celebrating the coming of the prophet. This is the prophet who is going to come and speak life over us. When Mary speaks this language of humility in these verses, she is not just speaking kind of the, she's not just speaking this kind of humble Kiwi, kind of poor me, I'm just a humble person. She's actually naming here this word humble isn't just kind of a personal status. This is her status in society. She's actually naming she's from one of the lower rungs. And God has chosen her of all people. That is her status. And yet in the midst of that, God chooses her. And the rest of the song pulls all these threads from the Old Testament 
particularly the prophets and the Psalms, and she remembers the promises God has made and knows, because she knows her story, that God is a God who keeps his promises. God does not abandon or forsake his people. She, in the midst of this, calls herself this blessed, that she knows that she is the one who gets to participate, gets to help fulfill God's purposes, and she is blessed because of this. And probably a bit unaware that this blessing will look a little bit different to how we would normally understand blessing. That this blessing actually is maybe pointing forward to what Jesus called as the blessed people when he spoke in his Sermon on the Mount. That Mary is blessed because she is meek, she is poor, she will mourn, and as such she will blessed, be blessed. These are the blessed people who participate in the kingdom of God. And the question for us is that this young girl knows her story. So when God shows up and says, you are going to have a child, it is not just profound and meaningful for her. She is able to realize the significance of it for her people, for the world. And as we're entering in, as we're in the season of fasting, the season where we give up food, that we become hungry and the desire that actually we would have a, we would engage with our deep spiritual hunger for God. I wonder, do you know our story in the ways that Mary knows it? Do you know that we have a God who has made promises over millennia and he keeps his promises? Not just individually, but also collectively. This is the God that we worship that we serve. This is the God that Mary understood. This is the God that Mary worshipped. And she worshipped him because she could see the implications of what he was doing, the kingdom that he was bringing about. This question, can you see the same kingdom? Can you see Jesus' kingdom? She speaks these words, he has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent, sent the rich away empty. We get this glimpse here of what God's kingdom looks like. When God shows up, what happens? There are many ways that kind of the kingdom of God gets described, but there's this general sense of like, it's different. Things get flipped. It's upside down. It's not the way we expect. And it's often the ones who are missing out in our current world who actually receive. The ones now who have plenty, they're actually going to lose in the midst of this. And this is a, a prayer, a song, that in the 20th century in particular, ended up getting banned in multiple countries because of this tone that ran through it of what God's kingdom looked like and the change that it inspired, that it sparked imagination for people of like, things can be different. The God who runs this universe wants things to be done differently and he has the power to do so. And three instances that I found, three countries where this was banned. During British rule of India, it was banned from being sung and worship. You couldn't sing this prayer. In the 1980s in Guatemala, 
the Guatemalan government discovered Mary's words about the preferential treatment and love for the poor were too dangerous. That it was amongst the poor, the marginalised, those at the edges, it was stirring up this like, oh, things could be different. The God who's running things cares about us, notices us. This means something. And it ended up being banned. You could not recite Mary's words publicly. In the last instances in, Guata- in Argentina, these, they call the mothers of the Plaza del Mayo. These mothers who, in the midst of war, their children were taken from them. And in response, they went through the towns and put up all these posters with the words of Mary's prayer. That this is a God who notices the humble and brings down the proud. That that sparked imagination for people of like, this isn't the way it has to be. Things can be different. God is a God who wants to bring change. That this radical message of Mary's actually at points in history has been too, deemed too dangerous, too revolutionary. That this kingdom of Jesus was too risky for the rich, the comfortable, the safe, those in charge those who actually impeded the work of God's kingdom coming. Mary speaks to those who are keenly aware of the injustice of our world and the need for change. Not just making little adjustments, but change that requires only God can do it. Only God can bring it. And invites us to participate in that. That Mary as this girl gets to play a role in that. So maybe other insignificant people, maybe other people at the poor, at the margins, at the edges, who normally would think they aren't noticed, get to play a part, get to participate. And I think for some of us, most of us probably have something to gain from the status quo. And Mary's song confronts us. Which kingdom do we pick? The kingdom that feels we can just kind of keep rolling or the kingdom that Jesus is wanting to bring. And I think sometimes this is a question of pride, but I think it's also this thing that Mary sparks. It's an imagination issue, which is, I think, what Mary sparks. Can you even imagine anything different? Can you imagine a world where the proud are made humble and the humble are fed, brought up, given status, made worthy. Can we imagine this? Jesus, when he begins his ministry, he begins with a fast. So he goes into the desert and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And as he comes out of that, he goes to the synagogue and he opens scripture. He opens the book of Isaiah and he echoes very similar words to Mary's ones. In Luke 4, 18 to 19, he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus' ministry was going to be about good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners and the oppressed, and healing for the blind. And I think we've reflected 
around here recently that it feels like we're in this period of depletion, of energy is gone, this period of history that feels like this change, stuff's moving, stuff's shifting, and I think there's this opportunity in the midst of this to reset our vision, reset our imagination. This moment where maybe as we fast, maybe as we take away those comforts, maybe the fog can clear from our brains and we can have this new vision, this new inspiration for God and his kingdom and what it could be. And what maybe our place could be in this. And I think they ask the question, what is our response? What will our response be to the song of Mary's? And I think fasting gives this opportunity to switch allegiances. If there's any sense that we are in the camp that Mary is saying will be brought down, will be made humble, will we switch allegiances to God and his kingdom and what that means? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when he talks about the Song of Mary, he describes it like this. The Song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It is at once the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary whom we see in paintings. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. It is instead a hard, strong song about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. I think there's this invitation here. Will we be the people who listen to these kind of songs? That in these moments where there is change, there is struggle, we're feeling depleted. I know for myself, my default is to take control, try and figure things out myself, self-dependence, self-reliance, I can do this, we can figure it out together. And yet Mary's song says, no, 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 that's not how this works. If you look at our story, look how the people of God have always worked. It's not about self-reliance. It's not about figuring this out ourselves. It is the humble who receive the kingdom, who are brought up, if we're chasing after, we've got to do it right ourselves. We're going to end up in the camp that is brought low. The invitation in this fasting season is to be hungry before our God and say, we need you. That is the appropriate and good way to be before God. And that is the invitation in the midst of this. That we would be those kind of people. That our physical hunger would attune us to our spiritual hunger, our dependence on God. That as we I know for me, realize like, man, I am far more dependent on sugar and sweets and treats than I thought. I would have that same sense of my soul and my spirit. Man, I am way more needy of things that are not actually fulfilling it. I am trying to collect things to make myself self-sufficient. And Mary says, no, 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 if you do that, you will become one of the ones who oppresses others, who is made proud, and then is brought low at the end. Instead, we're invited to be hungry before God in these kind of moments. 
and how do we do this? What does this kingdom look like for us? I was with the youth group this week, and we were talking about some of these images. Jesus uses multiple images to describe through Scripture what it means when the kingdom breaks in, what it means this kingdom of God. And at youth group, we talked about these images of salt and light. Throughout Scripture, they have other images, image of the mustard seed, image of the yeast. Often, it's not about these got it all together, figure it out, these strong structures. It's about these small, potent things that make a massive change. That it's not about actually a recipe for a cake that just you dump in cups of salt to make it good. It's just the small amount that makes a massive difference. That it's the same with light, that just this little glimpse. As we look at the mustard seed story that Jesus speaks about, a mustard seed grows into a tree, but it's not like this tree that we're growing into that's like an oak. If you read about the mustard seed, some people describe it as almost like grows this weed that just kind of gets everywhere and is hard to get rid of. And those are the kind of people we're called to be, these weedy people. (laughs) Like we're just in there making a difference. Like it's not about this strong, big proud thing. It's about we are humble people who come and serve faithfully and just in places making a difference. I was thinking about this afternoon. I reckon one of the best glimpses of this we see in this place, one of the glimpses, is we've got uh, Lynn and Ainsley pick up some bread here every Tuesday morning and go to some housing around this area for people who need bread and they just, they physically feed them but they also spend time talking with them, praying with them the sense of we're just here doing the work, feeding physically, spiritually, emotionally. We're here as a weed in Sydenham. (laughs) It's going to be hard to get them out. (laughs) And that's how God seems to work with his people. And I think that can be encouraging. Like, not just through, like, this is how you use Mary, pick this insignificant poor girl and chose her to bear Jesus. And that's what we're invited into. That's what we are called to participate in. We all get to play a part in that. And I wonder this morning, what is, maybe there's a sense of what's yours, where's the place God is calling you to just be that weedy kingdom bringer? To be that person there is just like, I need to see this kingdom of God. Just have that hunger in those places. It's a workplace, it's a school, it's a family, it's a community group. Where can we be those weedy people who just cry the song of Mary? We have a God who is worthy of our worship and praise and who is gonna who is changing things. So for some of us this morning, maybe it's this first question. Maybe as we think about our own situation, maybe as we think about the situation in New Zealand, around the world, can we see our place in God's story? Is that the story that interprets everything that's going on? The story that tells of a God who is faithful, a God who made promises and is faithful to keep them. A God who we read in the story is powerful, is mighty, is comes and notices the small, the insignificant, and raises them up. 
that's part of our story. Do you know that? Are you a part of that? Do you want to be a part of that? That's the story. And do you know it? In a way that Mary, when she has this encounter with God, she knows it. She prays this prayer that just speaks, I know my story and now I know my place in it. I know this, what God has done and man, I get to participate in that. How powerful is that? Second, for some of us, do we need this imagination just sparked afresh? That as maybe externally, it can look like things are hard, are tough. God is saying, I need your imagination in the midst of this, in the midst of this hunger to be sparked for that things can be different. Can you imagine things different? God wants to bring, yeah, not just practically doing that, but our imaginations would be shaped by a kingdom of change, a kingdom where the poor are brought up, the humble and the hungry are fed. Will we have an imagination that can see that happening, have an almost what might seem to others like a naivety, but we claim this, no, we can imagine a world that is different where God is wanting to move. And lastly, for some of us, it's this question of what is our response? Is there a specific situation, relationship, context where God's saying, I need you to be that person in that place who knows their story, can imagine something different and just is in there as a weed? Where's that place? I'll invite the band up as I close. Lord God, I just, yeah, we come before you this morning. I thank you for this prayer, the song that Mary prays, the song that in various countries at various times has sparked imagination for you and your kingdom and what that means. Lord, I pray amongst us as a people as we go through this season of prayer and fasting, Lord, that it would not just be a season of being physically hungry, Lord, but it would be a season where we become attuned to our spiritual hunger, to the hunger of our souls. Lord, that in the midst of that, we would not seek to figure it out ourselves, Lord, but as Mary did, as the people of God have always done, we would come to you, the God who is our saviour, who is our safe place, who meets us in those moments, who needs us in a state of dependency. Lord, may we be those kind of people. And Lord, finally, would, we, would you grant us that we would be a people who know our place, know where we participate in your kingdom coming, not in any abstract sense, but in a real tangible sense. We can name the people, the places, the situations. May you do that work within us. May we be a people who could pray, who could sing Mary's song with faithfulness, with honesty, with authenticity. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. We hope this teaching has served you well and that you've sensed something of God's voice speaking to you. 
If there's any way that we can help or pray for you, support you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. You can find out our contact info on our website at thewellnz.org or flick us an email at support at thewellnz.org. God bless you. We look forward to hearing from you soon.